0: Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Once again, I want to call your attention to the book of James, chapter number two the book of James, chapter number 2. We're going to read from verse number 14 down through the remaining portion of chapter number 2. I know that we've said this as we've been studying James, and as we've studied other books, we've made the same statement that Chapter and verse was something that was placed in the Word of God at a later date. Uh, these were letters that were sent. They were they were read in their entirety. They were they were read in a group setting. It wasn't. This was not an individual letter sent to an individual. This was a letter sent to the churches that were scattered abroad. And they gathered together and they read these and they understood. So with that being said, you and I understand, as we mentioned last week, that if you took verse number 14 down through verse number 26 and you were to somehow lift it up out of the Word of God and just let it stand alone over here, it would say something totally different than it's saying within its context, within, its, within what it's written to mean. So we're going to read these verses of Scripture, and as we read down through them, uh, we'll, we'll look back at some of what we covered last week and try to walk down through these verses today. Verse number 14, the Bible says, "'What doth it profit, my brethren?' Though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, And I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou dost well. But the devil also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God." You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning that you would give us clarity of thought in your word this morning. I pray that you would give us those things that you would have for us. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart and Lord, help us to see the truths and the reality of these verses. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I heard someone this week that gave an illustration. And I want to give you this illustration before beginning. Uh, The illustration was there was a young boy on the Titanic. This young boy had fallen overboard. When he fell overboard, there was a mother that was screaming and hollering. My sons fell overboard. Well, a great swimmer grabbed the, the life ring and jumped into the ocean and grabbed hold of the boy and got him with the life ring and, and he told Howard back on the boat and he said, now pull the rope. But there was nobody standing at the rope. If I were the kind of preacher that are in many pulpits this morning, I would tell you that you need to be holding the rope. But in reality, what I want to tell you this morning is God's always holding the rope. God's got it all under control. God's got the rope and you and I don't need to help God. God can do the job. We need to love God and and be obedient to Him, but love Him because He first loved us. As we come to this passage of Scripture... In verse number 14, James starts it out this way. He said, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not worked, can faith save him? It's kind of interesting that he didn't say, Can that faith save him? He said, Can faith save him? I want to I want to kind of go back and look at some of what we talked about last week. And by the way, this is a this is a continuation of what we started covering last week. So I I want to catch those up that maybe didn't hear what we covered last week. There is some background that's going on. There's some background that was happening in James Day But there is even some background when it comes to the application of these verses in our day. Understand that James is the first letter of the New Testament. It's not the first book of the New Testament, but it is the earliest letter of the New Testament. There's persecution that's come upon the church. The church has been dispersed it's it's going in different various areas and they're they're having to scatter because of persecution because of social persecution because of spiritual persecution because of things that uh, that they were preaching and 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 discussing and talking about they're being dispersed they're being sent out and James tells us even In verse number one of chapter number one he said James the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. And then he says my brethren count it all joy. He begins to tell them different various things as he walks down through what we know to be the first chapter and the beginning of the second chapter. There is persecution that's happening. There's things that are going on. James voices things about the things that are happening during that period of time. We're going to get into those in just a moment. But if you were to look at things in light of our day, understand there are some things that happened and some things that came about that have brought us to the point to where this passage of Scripture would be preached totally different than what I'm going to preach it to you this morning. The problem was that leading up to the 1700s, there was a, a consistency of dead orthodoxy. There was doctrine that was being preached, but they said it was dry, it was dead, There was it just wasn't doing anything for anybody. And because of that, there was... What was known as the pendulum effect uh, I mentioned last week, and i 'll mention again this week the pendulum is that thing that swings back and forth in a grandfather's clock that thing that swings back and forth if you've seen any any hero movies where the the swords swinging back and forth, and the 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 villain has the victim tied to some log on a rope and this is swinging back and forth and it's getting closer and closer and the hero needs to come along and take him off the log before they get cut in half. Well, that pendulum is swinging back and forth. The pendulum effect that I'm talking about this morning is something that began back in the 1700s when there was dead, dry orthodoxy. And because of that, they wanted something different than that. And in order for them to get something different than that, they came up with this thing called revivalism. Revivalism had within it, uh, it had some phrases like, no creed but Christ. No confession but the Bible. Well, we if we were to be classified as any particular kind of Baptist church this morning, we would probably be classified as a confessional Baptist church. Why? Because we adhere to confessions. What confessions? Namely, the 1689 London Baptist Confession. What is that? That is a statement of faith, basically, that this is what we believe. If you've been here with us on Wednesday nights or you've been listening in on Wednesday nights, you understand that throughout church history, early on in church history in 325 A.D., shortly after the church had started, there was a council of Nicaea and they dealt with the fact of the divinity of Christ. And they put down a statement about the divinity of Christ. And those things have been built on and things have been added to it as things have arisen throughout the years. And it's come to the point that uh, there is a confession that Baptist churches have held to over the past 400 years. We, We believe what we believe. We believe what we've always believed. We can go back to those that are all the way back in the early part of the church that it's not just taking the Word of God and just saying, okay, this passage of Scripture means this. It is understanding what that Scripture has always meant. If we were to take a passage of Scripture out of the Word of God and try to make it mean what we want it to mean during this day, You could do that. And that's being done in a lot of places. But if we adhere to the truth of the Word of God, then we're going to preach what we've always preached. What the Word of God meant when the Word of God was written to these people. Understand what was going on in this time. Understand who the writer is. Understand who the recipient is. Understand the historical background of what was happening and what was going on. So they said no creed but Christ, no confessions but the Bible. And by the way, if you, if you actually say no creed but Christ, can I just enlighten you? chat that's your creed <laughs> if that is what you say and that's what you're going to hold to yeah. that is your creed right. yes. so don't tell me no creed but Christ and because if that is what you're holding to then you have a creed yeah. you're saying this is what we believe yeah. and this is what the creeds and confessions have done down through the centuries. But we came to the point that we had revival, this revivalism that was taking place where they said we just need some fiery preaching that will get people back to obeying the Word of God. We we need We don't need to be worried about all this doctrine over here, all this dry stuff. Let's just have some fiery preaching that will just draw people back to following the scriptures. Well, that was what they wanted to do. The problem with all this revivalism that was taking place, this, this movement that was happening, there's another movement that begins and begins to take place. And it is a movement that plagues the church today. There was a movement called pietism that began to happen. This seems, uh, or or this uh, comes from piety, which piety in itself is not bad. Piety means the quality of being religious or reverent. That's not altogether bad. Piety is not bad, but pietism is. The reason pietism is bad is because Pietism turns inward. We've mentioned and I'll mention again that anytime time our, our focus and our, our looking at something turns inward, we begin to mess up. Why? Because we don't have the ability to be obedient to God. We don't have the ability to follow through with what God has said. So Pietism is this. Pietism is that Christianity should be characterized by more than just thinking right things about God. It should be characterized by living in ways that demonstrate don't don't miss this. And I'm I'm reading the definition and reading what. Pietism is, it says it should be characterized by living in a way that demonstrates one's commitment to God. There's the problem. Pietism, pietism turns inward. It is, all about, it is all about we as individuals and our individual commitment to God. You say, "Well, preacher, how can individual commitment to God be bad?" That's not what James is dealing with in this passage of Scripture. Understand, uh, if the the sixteen eighty nine does say this about even this passage of Scripture that is noted, these good works done in obedience to God's command are for, are the fruit and evidence of. True and living faith. Through good works, believers express their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, build up their brothers and sisters, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the opponents, and glorify God. Believers are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that they bear fruit leading to holiness and have the outcome of eternal life. That that was talking about us doing what we do for others. Not doing what we do so that we are developing some kind of better standing before God. You and I do not have the ability. We do not have the ability to have a better standing before God within ourselves. Why? Because my good works are filthy rags. If my good works are done on my behalf, they are filthy rags. Doesn't matter how good I am, if they're done for me and they're not done to glorify God and they're not done on the behalf of God, then I've missed it. And hold on to your seat, my good works become sin because they're not glorifying God. Right. They're glorifying me. That is what James is leading to and what James is talking about here in this passage of Scripture. He's not talking about revivalism. He's not talking about uh, pietism. Uh, he's, he's, talk- he's not talking about us trying to prove ourselves before God. He says, what doth it profit? Don't miss, un, uh, don't, don't miss what I said in the very beginning, that this is one entire letter. You cannot take verse number 14 down through verse number 26 and pull it out and make it stand by itself. You must take verse number 14 down through verse number 26 in light of what James has just got through saying. What has James just got through saying? I'm glad you asked. We'll walk back down through it and we'll find out what he said. Chapter number 1, verse number 2 through 4, he's talking about preservation under trials. He's talking about God preserving us in the midst of trials. In verse number Five through verse number 8 to chapter number 1, he's talking about the promise that God gives us of wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. What is that real wisdom? We'll look at it as we get on through chapter number uh, 3 and verse number 17. But it says here in chapter 3 and verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. What has James just got through talking to people about in James chapter number 2 and verse number, uh, what is it, verse number 7 down through verse number 13. He's talking about partiality and hypocrisy. He's telling us in verse number 9 and verse, through verse number 11 of chapter number 1, He's telling us about the secure future that is not a performance-based future. You and I have a future with God that is not based upon our performance. God, Jesus Christ said in John chapter number 17, He said, I give unto them what? Eternal life. He didn't stop there. He defined what that eternal life was. What is that eternal life? That eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ. That's the eternal life that he gives us. That we might know God. He has secured a future for us. That future that he has secured for us is not based on our performance. It's based on him revealing himself to us. He tells us in verse number 12 of chapter number 1 that there's life to those who love him. Verse 13 through 18 of chapter number 1, the origin of temptation. Where does temptation come from? Temptation comes from within. If you want to look within, that's where our problems are. That's where our, our difficulty is. That's the reason James is not looking inside ourselves in verse number 14 down through verse number 26. Chapter 1, verse number 19 through 25. There's the liberty to walk in the law imperfectly. What what is it that... what, What did the rich young ruler, when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, Lord, what must... I do to be saved. The emphasis was when the rich young ruler came to Christ he asked him the question what must I do to be saved? Well, the Lord said if you want to know what you must do to be saved I'll tell you. You've got to do this and do this and do this and do this and he named out the law. The rich young ruler looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can't even imagine the audacity that he had when he looked at Christ and he said, I've kept all of that from my youth. I've done all of that. Basically, he was telling God, Well, if that's why it is, I've checked that box off. I got that one. So Jesus reaches over to the dial and he turns the heat up. He said, you got to keep all the law. And the, the rich young ruler said, I've, I've kept all of the law. I've done all of those things. So Jesus turns the heat up and said, well, go and sell all you have and come follow me. What does the Bible tell us? that the rich young ruler walked away sorrowfully. Why? He wasn't wasn't willing to turn away from um, himself. He wasn't willing to give up himself. What was Christ doing when he was doing that? He was trying to get him to look at the only one that could do for him what he could not do for himself. Jesus was not telling him keep the law to be saved. He was saying if you want to know what you have to do, then you have to keep the law. If you want to know what's already done, look at me. What did he tell others? He said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. Any man that cometh unto the Father cometh by me." What did he tell others? He said, "I He said, "Come in. Go in and out and find pasture." He told them who he was. What did he tell Martha and Mary? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus was pointing to himself. You and I know that we cannot keep the law, but James tells us that we can walk in that law imperfectly. And have a right standing before God. I can't keep it all. But I can still work the law to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I can do it imperfectly and God still looks at me the same way He would always look at me. In the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us in verse, not chapter number 1, verse 26, down through chapter 2 and verse number 9. He says to do these things without partiality. Then he tells us in chapter number 2 and verse 10 through 13. He reminds us of who we are and where we came from. Why does James do all that he's done up until now? Because he's leading up to what he's about to say. And he says in verse number 14, after all of that, James says, What doth it profit? And then he says, My brethren, don't miss that. He's talking to those who are saved, he's not talking to those that need to prove that they're saved. He's talking to those who are his brethren. He said, what does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not worked, can faith save him? Martin Luther made a statement. I told you this last week, but Martin Luther made a statement. He said, we are saved by faith alone but our saving faith is not alone. It brings with it good works. Paul put it another way. He said, You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he tells us later on in that same passage of Scripture that we are saved His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He asked this question. He said, can this faith save or can faith save? He goes down through verse number 15. He said, if a brother or a sister. In fact, James, James makes this statement in verse number 14. What shall it profit, my brethren? Or what doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say that he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? And then he said, I want to give you an example. This is basically what James was saying. He said, just let me give you an example. He said, if a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye gave them not those things which were needful to the body, what doth it profit? Did he not just say, what doth it profit? In verse number 14? He's asking the question again, what doth it profit? He said if a brother or sister come in naked and destitute of food and you look at them and you say, go out, be warmed, be filled. I can't imagine. (laughs) I can imagine the piety of someone or the the pietism of someone and saying, I'm up here. Go out, be filled, <laughs> be warm. <Yeah. laughs> do you hear that kind of preaching today? Mm-hmm. You've got it. Yeah. You your best life now. You just go do it. Yeah. Yeah. James is talking about talking to these people collectively, and he said. What, what does it profit if you tell them to go out, but you've not given them anything to be warmed by? Yeah. You've not given them anything to wear. You've not given them anything to eat. Right. What good is your faith? You, you say you're up here. You say you have faith, you say you believe, you say this, you say that, but what good is it when you don't let that faith go out and do works for God? Not what good is it for your salvation, what good is it for those people that just went out? You told them go out and be warmed. How are they going to be warmed? You didn't give them anything to warm themselves by. He says in verse number 16, He said, And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye gave them not the things which were needful for the body. What doth it profit? And then He said, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Understand who he's talking to. He's talking about them collectively and he's talking about how it is presented to those that are around them. He's not questioning whether faith can save them. He's questioning if the faith that they're presenting, if the faith that they're saying they have can save those around them. Look in verse number 18 he said, "Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works." It's a demonstration. It is not an it's not an evidence. It's not an examination, it's a demonstration. He says in verse number 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. He's telling them, He said, You you can sit here and say all you want to say, you can do all you want to do. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those same people that were just showing partiality, that were just trying to see what they could gain for themselves. Their their focus had turned inward, and because their focus had turned inward, he is telling them. He said, "You say you believe there's one God; you do it well. But the devils believe there's one God." That's right. In verse number twenty, he said, "But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead?" Then he goes on to give two examples here. And the examples he gives, he gives Abraham, our father, justified by works. When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar, see thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. He was not saying that Abraham was saved because he offered Isaac. He tells us that even in the the next scripture. He says, And scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Who called him the friend of God? The people that were around him said he's a friend of God. He knows God. Why does he know God? Because God is being demonstrated in the works that is being done in his life. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. People choke at that verse, but he, that verse is sitting in the middle of, of the two examples that he's given. He's talking about that faith being demonstrated by the works that are being done. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them away, uh, sent them un, uh, to depart another way. It, it was not the actions that saved them; the actions was a pro, a product right. of their saving faith. Yes. Then he tells us here: for as the body is without the the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. if you wanted to sum all of this up, you could sum it up this way. Faith without works is dead to whom? To those that are before us. He's not talking about our having to work to have some standing before God. He's talking about it being something that others can see in us. Let me put it this way, and I'll wrap it up and I'll be done. Our good works that others might see is a conduit of God working through us. It is not our waking up and deciding on Monday morning that we're going to do such and such so everybody else sees Christ in me. If it is my work, and I read that to you, that's what, that's what they said 400 years ago, that, that we believe, and we still believe it, that my good work in and of itself if it is done for my own purpose, my good work, although others may benefit from my good works, my good works are sin because it does not glorify God. My good works may cause someone else to look at me and say, what a man. What a person where my good works should cause someone to look and say, what a God. That is when Christ is working through us. We don't do what we do in order to say we have some standing, to be able to (laughs) <laughs> to be able to be one of the religious ones in the church. Right. And let's call on that brother to pray. Have you heard him pray? Right. I heard somebody the other day, and I'll give you this illustration, I'll be done. My wife and I went out to eat somewhere, and there was a gentleman and his family that were sitting behind us. They got their food and it was a, a buffet style thing and they got their food and they sat back down at their table. And he said, Let's let's give thanks. And he gave genuine thanks. He it, it wasn't it wasn't some some mimicked prayer. He genuinely said, thank you. And you could you could sense the genuineness in his thankfulness. He said, thank you. And when he got ready to close his prayer, Brother Charles, you know what he said? He didn't say, in Jesus' name. He just said, bye. Mm-hmm. He didn't have all the... The formalities of praying. But he was talking to somebody. And he was being thankful. You say, what's that got to do with anything? Folks, it's that genuineness. It's that, it, it, it's, not, it's not praying because we know how to pray. But it's talking to God. He's our Father. I mean, when, when I talk to my children on the phone, when I talk to my wife on the phone, the last thing I do before I hang up and say, I love you. Have we ever thought about it at the end of prayer and saying, I love you because you first love me. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is this. It's not a piety. It's not a self-righteousness. It's not an inwardness. But it's letting God work through you the work that you cannot do where God in His work through us can win others to Himself. Let's pray.